Uh, if you could repeat after me, we're going to do a little something different. As long as your name is not Gus or Jenny, I think we could all do this. What God has made clean, what God has made clean do not call common. All right. What God has made clean, do not call common. Cool. Okay, so uh, without even uh, realizing it, you have all memorized a verse in the Bible. Woo! Glory to God. Actually, it was the second half of a verse, Acts 10, 15b. All right. What God has made clean, do not call common. Uh, I think uh, memorizing scripture is uh, really cool. Uh, school might not be cool anymore, but memorizing scripture will be eternally cool because the word of God is God-breathed. It's the very thing that made life, but also gives us life. Uh, the word of God is living and active. A lot of times when we remember scripture, uh, it helps us to sort through different things in our heart. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, discerning the thoughts and intentions of heart. Uh, that's from uh, Hebrews uh, 4.12. Uh, while the word of God can be used for evil, as it has been used for evil through many, many centuries, for example, Satan, of them all, uh, he tempted uh, our forefather and foremother, like literally forefather, foremother, Adam and Eve in a garden, by using God's word against them. And he also tempted Jesus uh, in the desert. Well, the word of God is meant to be used for good and for redemption, as Jesus Christ resists Satan and remained faithful to God. Uh, memorizing the Word of God is like when you remember what your close friend or uh, one of your parents said to you, you know, when they say things like, hey, remember what I said, okay? No matter what, I love you. You're my daughter or you're my son. My parents said, you're my son to me, you know, but I said, you're my daughter, you know, not everyone hears. Okay, anyway, you understand? You know, a memory verse can change your perspective a lot of times. Uh, throughout a whole week. You know, you just start thinking about one verse and start thinking about what that means in your life. It reminds you of who God is. You know, it could be a verse, maybe like Psalm 62.8. Uh, that was a verse that really stuck in my mind during some hard times back in college. Trust in God at all times. Pour out your heart before him. He is a refuge for us. It reminds you that you can go to God and pour out your heart it's okay. He's a refuge. You know, one of the reasons I bring this up is because remembering who God is, a memory verse, a memory verse was one of the defining moments of Peter's life. And in the book of Acts, we've transitioned from seeing how the Saul, Saul of Tarsus was saved by God. Later on, he's called Apostle Paul. And we've been looking at Peter. And why is uh, Acts going back to Peter? It's going back to Peter because there are certain things that God wants to do in Peter's life. And I think as we uh, look at the passage today, and as we also start to see from last week, we'll start to see that Peter and us are very similar. In Peter's life, at one point, he had forgotten who Jesus was. He had betrayed Jesus Christ three times. But then, in the last hours of Jesus' life, after uh, Peter had uh, betrayed Jesus three times, it says that Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And also at that time, Peter remembered that Jesus Christ had 
given a prophecy and prediction that he would die, but then also on the third day rise again from the dead. And that was something that you know, Peter needed. And so I just wanted to you know, start off like that, just you know, encourage you a little bit. Um, you know, just if a memory verse, something from scripture or even from today, uh, really sticks with you to, to reflect on that, to remember that. Okay, cool. All right, uh, there are two realizations that we'll be uh, looking at today. Uh, the first one is prayer. The second one is special. I kind of wish the order was reversed and it could be special prayer, but instead it's just prayer special. So it sounds like you're going to a buffet. It's like, hey, prayer special today. All right, anyway. All right, so the first realization is prayer. God answers our prayers according to what we want. Just kidding. Okay, cool. <laughs> Three sharp-witted people woke up and they're like, you know. God answers our prayers according to what he wants. What he wants, because he's God. Uh, if coffee meets bagel brings strange men and women together for dating, then the Holy Spirit is the one who brings strange Jews and Gentiles together for salvation. Uh, Acts 10 is quoted by some theologians as the high water mark chapter of Acts. And I have no idea what that means, but it sounds really important. In Acts 2, we saw how the Holy Spirit descended from heaven at Pentecost unto Jewish people. So at the beginning of Acts, when Jesus Christ had left to return to heaven, the Holy Spirit came down, and it reached and started with Jewish people in Jerusalem. Recently, in Acts 8, we saw together that the Holy Spirit not only reached out to Jewish people, turning them into Christians, but it reached out to Samaria, Samaritans, long-time enemies of Jewish people. They were half-Jewish, half-Gentile people. But in Acts 10, we see something new for the first time, where the Holy Spirit finally descends upon completely Gentile people in a way that the world has never seen before. And that's why this chapter is so important and so incredible, because it's, as some people say, not just a story of one conversion of Gentiles and of Cornelius, but it's of two conversions, also of, of Peter. And Cornelius and Gentiles received the gospel, they received the Holy Spirit. Uh, Peter, in his life, he receives a lot of things that he needs, a change of heart in his relationship with God. Uh, last week, if you remember, uh, Peter had been visiting different parts of uh, Samaria that he previously had never been to. God used him to heal one man, Aeneas, in the town called Lydda. And then he, God used uh, Peter to heal or actually resurrect another woman named Dorcas in a town called Joppa, which is by the sea. And then finally, as Peter is seeing and being reminded of how God is working in his life, just like God worked in Jesus' life back then, that's why the miracle sounds so familiar, as Pastor Kenny was mentioning, Peter finally stays, surprisingly, at uh, the house of one Simon, a tanner, you know, and back then, a tanner was someone who uh, skinned animals um, and then dressed them for, for people. And, and that was very unusual for Jewish people because uh, Jewish people were taught to not come into contact with, with dead animals. 
So Jewish people would really look at that kind of profession with a lot of disdain, disgust, and yet that's what Peter does. But today, I want to show from Scripture how to even associate with Cornelius is something even more atrocious to the, to the Jewish mind of Peter than even a tanner. And, and why is that? Well, in Scripture, we see that Cornelius is a man stationed at Caesarea. He's a centurion of an Italian cohort. So he's an Italian Roman, you know. Okay, all right, moving on. And then uh, he's a centurion, and in the Roman Empire, there are only 60 centurions. These were kind of uh, the generals in the Roman Empire. It was one of the most prestigious positions. So he's like a general. And these were basically the last people who would ever want anything to do with Jewish people and vice versa. Jewish people lived under the thumb. It wasn't complete slavery, but they were second-rate citizens to the Romans at the time. Uh, Roman soldiers were notoriously cruel towards Jews during that time, asking them or just telling Jews at times to house them, to feed them, to quarter them, to raid their pantries and possessions. And it really reminded me as an American of our Third and Fourth Amendments. And I don't need to mention any of that because we all know what that is. I'm just kidding. I, I, like, I forgot, so I had to look it up. You know, the Third and Fourth Commandments of our U.S. Constitution, these came out of a time when the 13 colonies were also under the thumb of the King George and um, the British soldiers. A uh, third amendment said, no soldier in peacetime shall ever lodge or stay at someone's house without the owner's consent. Reminds us of what the relationship between the Romans and Jews were like. The Fourth Amendment said that there should be no unreasonable search or seizure uh, of possessions uh, without a reasonable and legal warrant given with probable cause. Reminds us of the relationship between the Romans and Jews. And so it, it was really not a good relationship. In fact, the Romans did these things, these things and sometimes even worse. They would berate the Jews. They would make them carry their armor. They would make unjust arrests at times. Sometimes they would beat people. And during times of revolt, before Christ and in the first century AD, the Romans killed a lot of Jewish people. They shed a lot of blood. There was no love shared between these two groups and no reason. The Romans were hated even more by the Jews than the Samaritans. Yet, at the beginning of this chapter, it said that Cornelius is a, a great person, a great character. And if it sounds familiar, it's because once again, just like Aeneas, just like Dorcas, Cornelius this time reminds us of a time when Jesus Christ also met a centurion. And the centurion that Jesus had met during his time, Jesus said about the centurion's faith, wow, I have never seen faith like this one in all of Israel. In fact, our Lord and Peter's Lord, Jesus Christ, taught that if a Roman soldier asks you to carry his armor one mile, then carry it another. In other words, serve and love your enemy. Take that time to share with him God's love. And Jesus Christ not only taught that, but this is the beauty of, of our Savior. He lived it, and then he died 
it, died it. Okay, grammatically just wrong, but he lived it and he died it. <laughs> Jesus Christ loved his enemies to the point where, to the cross, the Roman soldiers were either ones who would torture him, who would whip him, who would flog him, who would crucify him, and eventually spear him in his side. And, and if anyone might hate a centurion or Roman soldiers at that time, would it not be Peter? Would it not be some of the followers of Jesus who had saw how their Lord had died? But this centurion that we read about Cornelius is praised in Scripture by God because his heart was melted by the fear of God. He prayed and he was very generous to his soldiers and to the common people. And so in Acts 10, God tells him, God sends an angel to tell him to go find Peter, who's staying with Simon the Tanner. And the centurion just obeys like that. Now, you know, I would think, we would think that if a centurion who is one who should be so far away from God would obey, then Peter would obey even more, right? Peter is a Christian elite. He's a varsity kind of member. He's a Navy SEAL of apostles. Well, not quite good at water. He tried to walk on water once. It didn't work out so well. Well, some of you can't swim, so you can relate to that. Uh, he is a six-time Super Bowl of preaching champion. He preached at Pentecost. Ever heard of Pentecost? Ever hear of other uh, great sermons by Peter? Yeah. But no, that is not what Peter is like at all. And of course, in a very Peter-esque way, um, God loves teaching him lessons, uh, whether through Jesus Christ or, you know, in this case. And uh, there's a time when Peter's hungry. Of course, such a way to teach Peter a lesson. When he's hungry, you know. That's why we know this is a miracle, because if God tried to teach me a lesson, when I'm hangry, that's hungry plus angry for those of us who are out of it, um, when I'm hangry, that would never work. So this is a miracle. One day, uh, Peter is uh, on the housetop of Simon and Tanner, and he's praying about uh, 12 o'clock. Yo, I mean 12 o'clock. Oh, if you haven't eaten by then, you're almost like an atheist, you know? Your, your mind goes crazy, everything. And he's praying, and he's really hungry, and he wants something to eat. And this is when God uh, reaches out to him and says, shows him a vision. He falls into a trance, kind of weird. But then uh, Peter sees the heavens opened up, and there's this, like, kind of like a blanket descending you know, almost like a picnic blanket, I would kind of imagine, uh, with four corners being let down on all parts of the earth. You know, and uh, for, for, uh, for us who know scripture, we realize that, okay, this is kind of a symbolic representation of how God is saying to Peter, hey, Peter, you've been praying, and what I'm trying to show you is that I want the gospel to reach all four corners of the earth, you know? Of course, uh, Peter is not thinking that. And then as he's looking at it, he's like, there are all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And he's like, I can't eat that. I can't eat that. I can't eat that. I can't eat that. And I can definitely not eat any of these things. Because why? Because back then, um, in the Old Testament, they were taught that you cannot eat certain kinds of animals. Uh, there were pigs you cannot eat, camels, rabbits you cannot eat. There are certain birds, certain fish, seafood, like shellfish, that you couldn't eat. And so, of course, when God says during this time, rise, Peter, kill, and eat these animals, 
It kind of makes sense. Peter says, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. He's remaining faithful to God's word. And why had God commanded uh, his people not to eat of these things? It wasn't because uh, of some kind of uh, keto fad during that time, uh, but it was because to, to remember that God's people are supposed to be different from the rest of the world. So it, was, it marked holiness. But what's surprising is that after God says, okay, you know, a second time, what God's made clean, do not call common. Peter still doesn't say yes. He says no. And he does that three times. But he's not just saying no. He's saying no to Jesus, and he's saying no three times, over and over again. He's stubborn. But this isn't the first time that Peter was stubborn in his life. Jesus once asked Peter when they were together, Peter, who do people say that I am? Well, Lord, some people say that you're Elijah. Some people say that you're John the Baptist. Come back. And Jesus said, okay, who do you think that, who do you think I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, yes. Flesh and blood did not tell you these things. You can never figure out these things on your own. But it's because this is a wisdom given from heaven that you can know these things. And the gates of hell will not prevail against the authority that I will once give you. And of course, Peter at the time was very excited, and Jesus went on to explain how this authority would be transferred. And he said, eventually I will have to go to Jerusalem to die. I will be betrayed by elders, priests, scribes. I will be mocked, flogged, and I will die. But on the third day, I will rise again, and I will be in Galilee. And of course, in a very Peter way, he only hears the bad news. And so Peter says, definitely not, by no means, Lord. And then Jesus, um, you think your parents are harsh. Uh, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. My parents have said a lot of things to me before. They never call me Satan. You know, but he, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You know, and that wasn't the first time that uh, Peter was stubborn. There was, another, there was another time where Jesus said, all would abandon. And then Peter said, I will not abandon you, Jesus. But in a very similar way, we're as stubborn as Peter. We are no people like Peter. He's a no kind of person. And what I want to challenge us with is, do you have a realization that God may be answering your prayers not according to what you want, but according to what he wants? Because in this chapter, it's definitely not happening according to what Peter wants. If it was according to what Peter wants, it would be much more comfortable. He wouldn't have to face the idea of taking the gospel to Gentiles and to a people, especially a type of people like the soldiers of Rome that he despised for so long. But the great thing is that God is in control, guiding us closer to him through what he wants. We don't choose, God chooses. Uh, one of the things that um, Pastor Kenny has been talking about, uh, if you've been out to some of the Bible studies recently, he's been talking about revivals. And so it really made me think about revivals. And I want to share just a little bit from uh, um, some reading that I did last couple of days on revivals. I, I like marked up, made some highlights. And one of the things I noticed with revival is that it always begins with prayer. 
which is why PK has been stressing time of prayer. Prayer is immensely important. Um, it's the hyperbolic spiritual chamber in which God works miracles. Uh, one of the things that I read was from Psalm 85.6, a prayer to God. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? R.A. Torrey, a 19th century American evangelist, wrote, Every true revival has had its earthly origins in prayer. But not just prayer, but repentance. You know, what is revival? What is this resurgence of joy in God? Yeah, it starts with prayer, but it's a prayer seeped in repentance, like soaked in repentance. Charles Finney, the leader of the Second Great Awakening in America, he said this about the start of a revival. He said, the first step is a deep repentance, a breaking of the heart, a getting down into the dust before God, a humility of the soul, and a forsaking of sins. It's repentance. Charles Spurgeon, famous Baptist preacher from the 19th century, nicknamed the Prince of Preachers, he said that revivals begin by Christians getting right first and then spills over into the world. In other words, our evangelism, our witness to the world, has to start with our repentance. And uh, one last quote. Um, Andrew Murray, South African pastor, said, a revived church is the only hope for a dying world. A revived church is the only hope for a dying world. But I think we see in Scripture that Peter is not Superman. We see in Scripture that someone that God really used to reach out to a Gentile, Saul of Tarsus, is by no means a good person. And so before God uses us, our church, to change the world, he intends to change, to redeem, to transform us, to minister to us, to counsel us, to, to lead us through a time of healing. There are times where I wonder what God is doing in our church, and I think from Scripture and from recent Bible study, I see more and more. How can we just walk into the world and just start doing this if we ourselves are not broken, not repenting before God, not realizing how much we need Jesus? There are a lot of examples of people who didn't want to say yes to God, but God worked through their life anyway. There's one saint, Augustine. He didn't want to know God as a kid. His mother prayed that for him and became a Christian. He didn't have a choice. Moses didn't want to be used by God to save Israel. Good thing he eventually went. Eh? Okay. Uh, Jonah didn't want to go to the Ninevites, but God used that experience to save both him and the Ninevites. What if Noah didn't want to build the ark? It might still be raining. A little intentional dad joke for you all. Okay, cool. Uh, Barak didn't want to go into battle in the book of Judges, but God sent a sister in um, Jehovah. It's not Christ at that time. Sister in Jehovah named Deborah to uh, kind of urge him along. Esther won the most amazing beauty pageant of all the world. 
And uh, she didn't want to be used at such a time like this, but good thing she was. Peter didn't want to go to the Gentiles or to be the pioneer of this movement. Why couldn't God have just used Apostle Paul? He chose to use Peter. Why can't God just use someone else? Why does he want to use you? Why does he want to use me? It's not because we're special. In fact, it's the opposite. We're common. God could switch in, switch out us. He could use anyone in our family's lives, in our workplace's lives. He could use anyone, but he's choosing to use feeble, frail me, us. And that's the miracle, that God chooses us and chooses to use us. God helps us along, thankfully. You know, in verse 17, we see that even after this vision, Peter is so confused. He's inwardly perplexed. But as he's confused, the Spirit tells him, uh, three men are here, go to them without hesitation. It says, you know, it's almost like God saying, come on, Peter, come on, come on. Peter finally greets them. Uh, they explain to Peter why Cornelius sent them. Peter invites them in. And then the next day, they set for uh, Caesarea to meet Cornelius. Cornelius greets Peter at first and then worships him, gets down on his knees and worships him. That might, it must have been so weird for Peter because he said, stand up, I too am a man. Peter shares his realization. In verse 28, he says, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God. Remember but? Remember God? Remember but God? One of the most awesome phrases in Scripture. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Wow, Peter's actually listening to God. Pretty cool. But then check out this next thing he says. So when I was sent for, <laughs> I came without objection. I asked then why you sent me. By the way, get up. You want me to worship me? Just tell me uh, <laughs> why I'm here. You know, Hold up. Someone just back that verse up. <laughs> like, stop the presses. Stop the Instagram story. Like, what's going on here? All right, stop filming. Like, come on, Peter. Without objection, like seriously, but then, I don't know, that reminds me of like us a lot of times. When we finally get to doing the right thing, um, apologizing or something, and we think it's like our idea, but it's not. But um, it's not like Peter did anything heinously wrong here. Cornelius eventually tells him that God's angel told him to meet Peter. And Peter finally putting two and two together. Jesus Christ and his love for a centurion who had great faith, a centurion that invited a Jewish person like Peter to his house. Do you know how oh, just socially filthy and, and not right that would be for a centurion to have that look where a Jew comes to his house, let alone the leader of this heinous movement called the Way during that time? And Peter realizes this is God. And so Peter shares the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit comes to everyone who believes. Glory to God. This is something special that we read about here. What God has made clean, 
do not call common. But I think that's what we're so guilty of so many times. That what God does in our lives that should be special, we see that as common. But it's not. For example, some of the things that I hear around these parts. True story, you know, it's not me, someone else. Um, you work out at a gym. <laughs> Why are these things happening at gyms? Uh, somebody meets you. They're new and lonely in town with no friends. You hang out with them a little bit. You're like, uh, it's all right. You move to a new job where they happen to work at in a different department. And you didn't know that, but that person texted you and said, hey, let's hang out. Tell me that's not God. Tell me that's not God. Tell me that's common. Indian people come up to you randomly at a ratchet billiards bar called Triple Nines, upside down, that's 666, but I guess whatever. Anyway, I'm the only one who notices things like that. And these, these, they come up to you and say, hey, let's play ping pong. And then later on, they, they text the one person in our church who really doesn't like hanging out with new people and say, hey, you want to hang out? Tell me that's not God. Tell me that's common. You look around the church. You see marriages that are spiritually growing and people in them that are actually spiritually transforming. And um, as a statistician, you remember that 52% of marriages end in divorce. And even among Christian people, 52%. And you start to think, what? And then you think about how the people in these marriages have been just transforming, they're thriving in our Lord. It's not just one, but two people who are in Christ. Tell me that's not special. Tell me that's common. You look around the church and think about the church again, and you think about, you're about to see your sibling, you're about to see your sister, who's 14 years older than you and who lives in Phoenix. That's me. And how you haven't talked with her in a while, and it's just hard. Our ideologies clash a lot. But then you think about how God has used some people here in your church. Not always like that, but some of them are siblings and they're believers together. And you always think that can never happen in your own family. And then you just can't help but marvel that God could do things that you wouldn't think uh, he could do. You bring tea to your favorite barber because your friend said they would be on time for a lunch and they were not on time. And then he says, oh, thank you. You know, have you come for a haircut? And uh, you say, no, not today, maybe next week. And then you come by to visit him later on and he says, Yo, thanks a lot. I was having a very busy day. I needed that. You see a problem in your church where there's kind of a, a shortage of funds and you think, um, how can we uh, redeem some of our vices? And you come up with a cash smash fundraiser where you gather people together to play Smash Brothers and say the proceeds will go to missions. Your pastor who needs to preach the next day and you're trying to get around to your sermon, and it's like 4-something p.m., and you finally make it home after 
a lot of unexpected stuff. And then your neighbor, your neighbor's car dies for the third time. You help your neighbor out. You meet your neighbor's brother. He's talking about cars. You know nothing about cars. You wish it was the other pastor. <laughs> they talk about the JL speaker audio 500 watt dual subwoofers, and that means nothing to you, and you really wish you were your other pastor. And then you start talking, and you start getting more stressed because the sermon is coming. Sunday is coming. That's not always a good thing. And uh, he says, hey, let's see sometime. And you're like, oh, that's pretty cool. Okay, but not this week. I have to go somewhere. Maybe next week. I don't know. All these things common. There could be so many things. I've heard things from you guys about how you meet different people at work, uh, at school, or you know, when you're just doing different things. And um, I think so many times I just see it as common. But what God has made clean, he's telling us, don't call that common. And the emphasis is on how God makes that clean. God is working some kind of miracle that we just don't feel ready for. And I think that's okay. But he is working that miracle. He's not just saying it's not common and special, but he's saying it's, it's clean. He made it clean. And that's the miracle and center of Christianity. The symbol of our religion is a bloody mess on a, on a tree where Jesus Christ died on the cross for, for me, for us, because our sins need to be paid for, and only a perfect person could atone for all the sins of an imperfect world. And in Acts 10, what we see is a real meaning of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he would give his only son that whoever should believe in him will have eternal life and not perish. And what that verse means is not that God wants to save every single person in the whole world, but he's making it available to every person. We don't know what God wants to do. And the idea of it practically frightens me a lot of times. But can we just start in a couple places together? With what we've been hearing about, can we pray about it more together? Can we just pray? Because we don't know. Is, that's a good spot, I think. God will answer our prayers according to what he wants. It's awesome. And then the second thing is, can we just be more mesmerized and be more thankful for the different things that God does, the special things, and, and cherish those miracles he performs in our life and not call them common? Because Jesus Christ the only true special one, the perfect one in the whole world, died for a common and imperfect sinners like us. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for your faithfulness as you're guiding us through this time together as a church. Just thank you for all the preaching, the teaching, the relationships. Thank you for all the examples of reconciliation and what uh, um, a Christ-led marriage could look like, family, uh, relationship with friends. Uh, thank you for all these different examples of how amazing you are in our church. And help me and help us to repent. Help us to repent and say, Lord, a lot of times these are not the things I focus on, but God, help me to do so. Help us, Lord, 
to look at you and not ourselves, just like how Peter learned in this chapter, just how he learned a long time ago when he fell through that water because he focused on himself. What Peter needed to do was to look at you, Jesus, and I pray that you would help us to do that in our lives. And we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.